0: This week we have a free-form chat about our characters, our games, and our story developments. We'll get into the gods and religion, and how to kill the Xanathar. Welcome to We Speak Common.
1: I'm Benjamin.
0: Oh, Joseph. Hello.
1: Hello.
0: I'm, I'm all That's right. Weird,
1: that was a bit. weird. It's very weird. I'm fine. How are you? I'm uh, very well. Very well. Well, better than
0: you. Yeah. Yeah. You're all right.
1: <laughs> don't rub it in. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh mate, what is what? Uh... So you've
1: got it. So you've got the Peroni.
0: Well, we don't. We don't know that yet. I mean, I might have it. <laughs> well, <laughs> the the <laughs> what test. Laughing? Is it? No, it's really not. But what you can. see anything you can do in. Um... <laughs> in a moment like this um no i'm all right i just uh i just haven't been i have been sleeping because i've been sweating um bloody fevers and all that but um yeah i don't recommend having the uh the test it's not nice mate it's not nice oh dear mm.
1: How was it? um well I've, if you go down i'll have to just carry on the show myself won't I, mate it would just be me talking to me
0: that sounds wonderful i'm glad i won't be around to uh to experience oh,
1: wow. it <laughs> that's a grim.
0: on a serious note i'm okay i'm all right so don't worry about it uh,
1: dear Eddie. well we you know speaking of dungeon dragons that's, uh, <laughs> what a great dragons.
0: segue oh, Thanks.
1: thanks thanks so, <laughs> guys this isn't gonna be our best one i'm gonna lie to you <sighs> it's uh it's got one of those vibes of not being our best one yeah but, um look no but what i was gonna say is we played yesterday in your game, mm. uh, Dragon Heist. And I will have to point out, Ben, I reread that little letter you sent me, mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: just for people who don't know. The character got a letter from uh, his brother who lives far away. It was a bit of correspondence, etc. But Ben sent me the letter in message form. And I must say, Ben, it was very immersive because, obviously, it's written from the perspective of like a 12, 13-year-old kid mm-hmm. or whatever. And, uh, it felt that way you know i felt the uh sort of excitable nature of the kid in the letter
0: oh thank uh, you very
1: much it was very immersive i was like whoa i'm i'm transported to this world right now so i don't know why that hit me like that (laughs) when you know like the game doesn't normally feel quite like that you know but just for some reason that one little thing just really Really work for
0: me? Yeah, I know what you mean because immersion is something that I I aim for um, all, all the time. That's like my 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 benchmark is that I want it. I want there to be parts every now and then where players feel like they are experiencing an actual thing. So, um, you know, we we had Fleets Week Festival. Um, well, a couple of sessions ago, and we'd been building up for it for a while. And I'd planned this big description of the parade and the music, and um, you know how it was going to be, and all the little mini games. And a couple of the guys were like, "Wow, yeah, it really felt like we were at a parade." And I was like, "Great, mission achieved." And you can't get that every single session because that's just too much of a standard to put. But I was waiting. And like eagerly awaiting to send you this letter because um, it was set up so many games ago. Um, really, it was set, so I don't even know how many sessions this was. But you, you, you originally sent it when we were playing the starter set, and then obviously I took over. And I yeah, so
1: like just so to inform people, I yeah. just gave a little goblin mate of mine Droop. His name was, I believe. Yeah, Droop. Uh, I gave him this letter and uh, just said, hey, could you like go? a few hundred miles up the road and deliver it. I didn't think he was gonna make it, to be honest, or that he would bother, but mm. you know, turn out to be a, a loyal little goblin friend.
0: Well that's the thing, because when you did it, James so James was running the game at that point and we've been we're sort of doing this together and that's been like the thing that's made this campaign so special, I think. The 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 intertwining of of the different um sort of settings like my domain is water deep in that area of the sword coast and he's dealing with like boulders gate in that area and and the moon shales and stuff so we sort of cross over and it's a lot of fun it makes it a very interesting shared world um and when when you sent it i remember him saying to me like god i don't know i don't know what to do with that and i said don't worry let me deal with it because it's going to take him a long time because you never told us where your family was from
1: so no, i just said like sword coast south mm. you know that was like it
0: so i did some i did some some research i looked into into you know possible good areas and i found a nice little village it doesn't have too much going on that's a little off ways down the de Brimery, the river um that's not at the coast it's just a little bit further in just so it's sort of perfect for sort of nice quiet area but far enough away that you know if something blows up in the city you know it's it's a respectable place to raise a family and and then i was like well you know shit that's gonna take a long time but then as we've said before i think when we were talking about the uh, the old dragon um experience that that payoff for that weight it can be can be really good. So I left it a long mm. time, long old time. Um and I I'm 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 happy with it. I'm glad that your little smile when when you were reading it was was enough for me to feel like yeah, okay, that's paid off.
1: Yeah, well, I like I say cuz I would pretty much forgotten about it at that point. Mm. So it was like a nice it was like nostalgic, you know, of our previous campaign.
0: There's little bits in, in way- there as well. Um that sort of give you an idea of of the area because i because I know I haven't actually told you where it is, so if you uh, if you ever want to know, just have a chat with me, but like I think there's a there's a bit where he mentions um catching fish, and yeah yeah the uh, I, I actually went and checked what kind of fish he could catch in that river that runs by the by the hometown and 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 whereabouts they would be and what what breed they were so it's, See, it's this all is, spot on
1: this is testament to. What we were saying, well, what we always say on this show, especially when it comes to to planning and things like that, because that's what we get asked about all the time, is that whilst those extraneous details are not necessary, um, when you do go to those lengths, now I didn't, know from my point of view, when reading that letter, I don't really know much about Forgotten Realms at all. It's mm. not really a game. I I've never I never run games, and I don't really plan to as such. So I've never learned much about it other than just being a player right in my own little space within that world yeah so all those names and everything you could have just made up right they could have been your additions to the world i i would have known that or you know you could have just pulled them out your ass essentially but even though you went to all those details even though i didn't know it was part of the law and very well researched you can still feel it yeah in the letter you know when something's been well planned you can just feel it you know, just watch The Rise of Skywalker and you'll get a sort of an opposite effect. Of that, <laughs> you know, so it just felt that, and that's why it, why it worked. You know, you can, when something is paid off like that, but in very meticulous detail, very well paced as well, because like I say, it was like just at the point where I forgot about it, and then boom, it's like a nice reminder. Mm. It was connected to our old campaign, so that was like a sort of blast from the past as well, because that was months ago now. So it all just worked very harmoniously and also it was quite nice as you pulled characteristics that I'd roughly detailed of characters in my backstory and just sprinkled them into the letter with behaviour that felt congruent to them and what they would actually do. Mm-hmm. So you spoke about Cowrie, my character, you spoke about his dad, obviously the brother was writing the letter, you spoke about other family members, sisters, mums, what you know, whoever. Um but they all just matched well, you know? It was never a point where I felt like, oh, that doesn't quite line up to what I wrote. Not that it would even really matter, Mm -hmm. but it just matched, you know? And that felt, that just felt good to me as a player. It felt like you understood my character's backstory and where they'd come from. You'd obviously spent some time in that headspace to get familiarized with what I was basically putting down on the table. And then you've grown on that, which I think is, it's pretty key, really. Sometimes, you know, you can subvert an expectation and, and tweak something, so it's a bit of a surprise to a character, it's, that's kind of high risk and mm. oftentimes doesn't pay off unless you do it extremely well. But I think that's sort of a lesson, really, when you're looking at a player's backstory and you want to incorporate some stuff. You can generally tell by how they've written it or what they've told you about it. What are the aspects that are important to them about that story? And mm-hmm. what they want to keep, like for instance, um, with my Paladin Galahad, his backstory. Um, I think some of the key components there were that his his brother was a good guy. He's always going to be a good guy. He's always described as being uh, of you know a really good soul basically you know so if you then went oh I've, I've resurrected him and he is a demon boy <laughs> Yeah, he's <and> evil <laughs> he's always he's always been a demon boy and i would be like okay i mean i mean not really what i said but okay yeah but that's an important characteristic but then other bits you can kind of change a bit so like the the stepman character there is not necessarily exactly how i envisioned uh, in my head but the alternative was just as good And it wasn't Mm -hmm. something I had my my heart set on. So it's important, I think, to keep... Or just ask the player, like, what are the key touchstones of this story that can't really be messed with? Or if you're unsure of it, just ask your player, okay, I've got this character here. Clearly, he might come up in the story later on. It's on your backstory your long-lost, you know, lover or whatever. What's the key personality traits about this person that really are sort of immutable and can't be changed
0: yeah because
1: that just gives you a good framework and generally that will still leave you with a lot of room for creativity to surprise the player oftentimes if i'm a player and i write a backstory i don't want to give too much detail because i want to give the dm room to surprise me later on i don't want i I don't want to like write a quest for myself later on and then also write the outcome in that backstory yeah yeah you know you might as well just write a book
0: yeah where's where's the game in that yeah where's the, the development the um, so, yeah, I think the a good example of the adverting expectations with the Galahad's brother ex- example. I mean, you could resurrect him and he could be evil, and that would be like, oh, that's that's not right. That's not how he is. And then it's like, oh, he's been you know, there's a quest. He's been affected by being dead, and you have to get him back to normal. Like that would be a nice, interesting way to subvert expectations because you yeah. can return him to normal. But yeah, just instantly changing him isn't isn't really the way you want to go.
1: Yeah, it's the same like when you. I don't know say you retire a player character in a game and then down the line the dm introduces that that character and mm. sometimes it's nice for the, the pc to, to play that npc in a scene or whatever but also sometimes if the dm has information that that character should have and is pertinent to the story you know the dm needs to run that npc or that pc like an npc right mm. but you can't just then completely change that character. You know, I, for instance, like Galahad, who's a Paladin. He's a bit, he's slightly morally grey, but he's he's a good guy really at heart. If he, so I've said, okay, I'm going to retire him now, and then in you know, a new campaign down the line, you bring him back, and you're like, oh well, he's a uh, he's a Death Knight now. Yeah, um, <laughs> he has fallen completely. I'm like, well. I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> you know yeah, but... all well and good if
0: he actually had, because you told me he might have done that. But
1: yeah, exactly. You know. I mean, to be fair, Galahad—he he could go that way. Um, just one bad day, it's all it all takes us Yeah,
0: I mean, he is—he is teetering the line a little bit. The other thing as well is that, um, you know, I always think that when we talk about this stuff, and when I when I listen to it back, when we when I edit it, I always think like, oh, some of this stuff sounds like a lot of work, but. What I what I did with that letter, it sounds like a lot of work because we're saying, you know, oh, you you know, you really knew the the backstory and you you got into the headspace and you wrote it from this point of view and you waited all that time and you planned it out. But really, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't take me that long because I knew I saw the opportunity when the letter was sent. I made a note literally made a note to remind myself that that's the thing that had happened and that it should have a payoff and then as I was getting close to that time every now and then I just each session you know when Cowrie had a moment or or had a development I make note of it and I'd watch the story and how it was unfolding and I think right when's going to be the perfect point to let it in and when's it going to fit in and what kind of twist is it going to bring how's it going to affect him and all that time I'm thinking, what's it going to say? What's the right thing? Because I don't want to give him a letter that's going to give him some massive existential crisis and change the character. Mm-hmm. I just want to give him a little reminder of, of who he once was.
1: But I did think when I got it, I am I going to open this? It's like, hey, Cowrie. so the family's dead. Yeah. And I'm homeless.
0: And I need help. Yeah, see, like, I could do that down the line because you've... I mean, I'm not going to do that, but that's not the right way of going about it, I don't think, for, for the story. But you've made mention about maybe bringing him to the city sometime. So at some point, maybe you might get a cry for help from him. That could be a development because you've sort of seeded it yourself. Whereas with this one you've kind of seeded the whole you know i love my brother and he's safe and he's happy and at some point i, I know it's boring there i'm going to bring him into an exciting life and i'm gonna you know we'll be like best buds again i like right okay so he's happy he's safe he's living his life but he's probably missing his brother so let's seed that let's let's build on those emotional ties
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's really yeah. it doesn't take as much time as you think even though it sounds like a lot of work
1: no and i i specifically wrote kauri to be Less, he. I mean, he's kind of an edgelord, lord, but his backstory <laughs> is not edge lordy at all. No, you know, he just—he's very standard. There's no tragedy there. there. You know, there's always a tragedy with uh, a player character. There's not here. He's just a guy, yeah, with a couple character flaws, make him slightly interesting, and and that's about it. Yeah, with a normal upbringing, well, But that's a nice touchstone. I, I, when I was made him, I was kind of thinking about Hawkeye from um. Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. And when that and that's a bit of a twist where you it turns out he's married and he's got kids and everything, and there's nothing really wrong. He's just uh He's just an agent. Just just uh, an agent, a hard working man with a happy family. Very good. And that made, for me, that made him so much more interesting. Yeah. As soon as I found that out, I was like, whoa, he has character you know it just and it just tells you a lot about someone okay if they got kids they got a wife or whatever I mean, it also slightly
0: stable yeah well it also tells you that they've got something to lose
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know all exactly. these other characters that don't have I mean obviously other characters have connections I mean you know by the end of Infinity War but Tony's got a, a, a wife and kid you know so it, it it gives it gives something not only for him to lose but also much more attainable for us as people for example you know we can't ever (laughs) we can't ever get on the same level as thor and understand what it's like to lose all of asgard but we could understand what it's like to lose a loved one Mm -hmm. and what weight that brings
1: and it informs you so much about the character because now when you think of hawkeye it gave me so much more respect for that character because okay he has this family yeah, he's got a wife, he's got kids, he's got people who depend on him, who he looks after, who he loves, and vice versa. Clearly, he doesn't need to be do this job. He doesn't have to do this job, but he does it anyway, because he understands it's for a higher purpose, mm. and that is that just informs me so much about how this character thinks, and his morals, and his beliefs, and how he acts, just based on the fact that he had this wife and kids. So... You can make a character very interesting without having some form of grief or PTSD or tragedy or whatever it may be. Those can obviously massively impact a character and inform their their sort of centre of being, really, but so can having positive aspects in a character's life. That's why I always find religious characters so interesting. Mm. Uh, um, I was watching... The Last Kingdom recently, uh, which is kind of a bit like Vikings, but a bit more historically accurate, a bit more realistic. It's so on Netflix at the <laughs> minute. And
0: um, just show, shallow shade there.
1: Well, I actually really like Vikings, but it's just it, Vikings is a bit more mythical, it's a bit more fantastical, I think. Mm. Um, but it's interesting because there's so many pious characters on The Last Kingdom. Obviously, on the Dane side, with the whole. Uh, norse pantheon and then a lot of christians and and christianity being represented in a large way in that show and the characters are so interesting like uh, there's a priest on that show who doesn't necessarily have anything such as a, as a, a bad life he d- he's not tortured like a bunch of these other characters are but and he's so connected to God, but he's not infallible. He's not like a perfect being, but that aspect of faith, which is obviously an, a positive aspect for him as a character informs me so much about his, um, his morals and his convictions and his beliefs, because especially when he, they talk about faith a lot in that show, as you mm. can imagine, and having faith and what that means, etc., And, just having a character that can put their sort of quote-unquote faith in something put their their trust in something whether that be god or another character or belief or a set of ideals again it's why i like paladin so much because there's a lot of sort of crossover there Mm -hmm informs me so much about that character because it's, it's kind of a brave move there's no evidence of anything but you you believe anyway that's what sort of interests me a lot about religion and then that's why i put it in my D game so heavily because i just think it's interesting especially when there is a bit of proof you can do magic and things from the gods it, it changes the dynamic and makes it just very very interesting ben how did we get here mate well um... I,
0: I don't know but i'm, I'm enjoying it I'm, re- I'm really enjoying it and actually i think your um your point about uh the you know the when you play a game i think we said it before a game world where magic is real and there is a connection to the gods and there's like proof and it's not all about faith it's such an interesting like relationship to to role play um something i've i've actually i've never really delved into the the sort of relationship with with gods and things in dnd or or any rpg really uh, because i've always sort of seen it as a bit like I don't really know where to go with it. I don't really know what to do with it. And I've started to a little bit with Orlo, and that's um, that's been really interesting because, uh, especially in that game world where we play in. See, this is the, why I like playing the Forgotten Realms with with our group because James, who is also DMing with us, um, <laughs> he uh, he has as much of an appreciation for lore that I do. So when we work together and we put all this law into this or we take all the law that exists and we you know rip it apart and get into it and look at it with the fine tooth comb and then build it back together and and use it how we want to we get this this immense sort of lived in world that we both understand and we can also keep interesting for the two of us uh, because he does bits that i don't look at and i do bits that he doesn't look at, and we play each other's games in this same world and um we we started getting into some of the godly stuff and there's an there's such a there's there's so much stuff there about how to and how it all works and how they work and how they do things and and why they do them a certain way and i don't think for me because i don't have that kind of connection to it like you do i don't i don't think i would have been able to build that on my own which i think is is um yeah i'm fine admitting that i don't mind i'm not (laughs) pride whatever um I don't know. I just I I think sometimes taking stuff that's already there and, and just ripping it apart and using it is so beneficial. Um, mm. But yeah, it, I I agree with everything you're saying. I built out Orlo um, in the same kind of way as you as well. I I looked at the character and I thought I don't really want to do that. Big oh, one day I left home forever and I'm adventuring. So I did. Um, but I wanted something different about him, and I wanted him to to have this this disability this missing arm um and and i kind of built this idea around him and then i was like but how is he going to lose his arm if he's not had this big tragic moment so it's just an accident it's just an everyday accident he lives on a farm you know he works with his mum and dad and um he he was helping out and one day there was an accident he lost his arm and well all right, okay well now how is he a wizard well you know the, <laughs> the only person in the village that could help was this old retired mage who could like heal the wound but couldn't you know grow his arm back effectively he didn't have a cleric um, and now he's not got an arm and he's gonna go out adventuring to learn more about magic because he's interested in it and every now and then he sends money back to his dad so it's like well yeah it's not in it's not exciting
1: per se it's not so you say that Ben but I know that's <laughs> bullshit and I know he's evil just admit that this is an evil character ben, the story
0: the backstory is true that is there is no there is no tragic big explosion Michael Bay film backstory so he's,
1: he's just born a psychopath and he's not made.
0: Why do you think he's a, I mean we've been through it you
1: don't ben, we've been through this but
0: you but don't know he's a psychopath <laughs> yet yeah. yeah okay um, You're not, well, you know you, you think Carrie knows nothing. Uh,
1: no, no, he doesn't, to be fair. Well, he knows not a lot about... Not a lot. It'd
0: yeah. be interesting if Kauri got his hands on Orlo's journal.
1: That would be interesting. I mean, he probably could fairly easily do that. Yeah. But he, he respects people's privacy, Ben, okay?
0: Orlo's um, looking for a way to... Uh, he's, he's waiting for that access to Learman's secret chest. That's what he's waiting for. Hide all his notes in there. Well, yeah, he is a...
1: Uh, I like spells like that thematic. I mean, what I was going to say is that um, with... Galahad, he was kind of my first sort of foray into exploring this gods that obviously do exist, there's no question about it, they give people magic powers, etc. <laughs> yeah. And but how does that work in a world where they are sometimes described as sort of benevolent and all good, yet there's a lot of suffering
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Galahad's experienced a lot of suffering, but has constantly been told by all his mentors and teachers around him that, hey, you've got these magic powers from the gods. Yeah, Be good. Worship them. And he's like, well, why should I worship them when they just want to make me suffer all the time? I don't want these powers. And I think that it's pretty tricky to actually justify a all good, all benevolent god in a D&D world. Mm. that's difficult i think um speaking of someone who's not really well who's quite a lamest when it comes to faith and religion and all things like that <laughs> in my irl life so which is which that...
0: is i always find that interesting about you because you you find all of the you find all of the religion stuff so interesting anyway and, and... yeah but
1: i'm not actually religious so i feel like i don't there's a the, I don't have, say, first-hand experience yeah. in anything like that, so I can't really... Do you think that's do...
0: why you find it so interesting?
1: I don't know, Ben. I don't know how my brain works.
0: I mean, we're, we're beyond d like now. Say... We're just talking about, like, human psychology at this point, but...
1: <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I don't know. I just find it interesting because, and it it just fascinates me in the context of Dungeons & Dragons, when you've got so many different variations and, and per- permeable states of play and everything's just interacting with each other when you throw this very esoteric kind of idea into the mix of, mm. of faith and religion and things how does that work in the context of this world and for I think Galahad his journey is is coming to understand that either it's I think where he's at, at the moment is that look it's either all fated everything's supposed to happen as it happened um, which is a uh, an idea he's not happy about. Yeah, that's not very satisfying to him. He doesn't like the idea that it's all fated. What, what does that mean for him? Yeah. Um, he either the gods just don't care. They are all powerful. They gave him this, these powers as almost like a joke. Like here's these powers, <laughs> that you still can't save the ones you love. Off you go. So, have fun. Yeah. You know. Now you just feel even more responsible, because you could have done something, but we didn't quite make it so you could you just feel like you could have, and that's mm. enjoy this torture <laughs> um, which is how he's felt for the longest time, and that's made him very bitter and angry mm. and and then he had a bit of a, a slight conversation of such with a god or a dream or whatever you want to call it, where they gave him. Somewhat of a direction, which I think as a player, I interpreted and then misinterpreted on the behalf of Galahad, because I think that's how he would have interpreted it. And that just, I think that just gave him more justification for his rage and anger. Yeah. I think now he's slowly, I mean, he's just, you know, killed a dragon and the stakes are just raising and ever so higher and higher and higher that he's. The world is literally
0: falling apart around him.
1: He's beginning to see things beyond himself a little bit and having a bit of growth. And I think that where he, he'll either go one or two ways. He'll, I think he'll come to accept and have faith in the fact that these gods have given him these powers and these challenges and suffering as a test. They're not all powerful that they can't save everyone and make anything great. And if they did, and there was no suffering, then there would be no growth for anyone. Mm-hmm. You can't like you, I suppose you can't be good or there can't be any goodness in the world if there's no capacity for evil. If you can't physically be evil, then you can't also be good. Yeah. Because it's, it's a choice. And if you're that if that agency to make that choice is taken away from you, then uh, you, you're just stagnant. There's no development. And so I think that if he comes to realize that, that this is the challenge laid down before him, it's his... The onus is on him now. He's been equipped with the tools, the powers to effect great change. To then find that sort of path of of meaning, I suppose, and go down that. I think that's one direction. Or it just all gets too much for him. He can't handle that responsibility, or he he gives in to his more base, immediate just uh, immediate satisfaction desires mm-hmm. of his vengeance and everything, and then he does just fall. Yeah, becomes a, a important part Like I, I really feel like it could go either way, and I don't know how it will go. It depends on the story, I suppose, and what challenges are thrown up in in front of him. But it's interesting it really because,
0: like, I, I I know some of the twists and turns that are coming his way, and um, I I don't know when. Like, I know kind of when they're going to come, but I don't know where he's going to be in himself when they do when those twists reveal themselves and that could completely change everything um that could change the whole arc of his story so it's 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 fun to and i think this is just why i like D because even though in a way i'm kind of the the writer of the story because i'm sat in a chair knowing kind of where it's going i don't really know where it's going to go and what ending it's going to be in because it really depends on on what these characters do and i have no control over them i think that's why i think that's just the magic of it isn't it really
1: yeah it is and i think that i just love this character so much because it it's a real it's it's a vessel through where I explore my own ideas and things. Yeah. I think that's what's great about D&D is you can just throw things out there and see what resonates with you and other people and explore things in a, a basically no-consequence setting of a, <laughs> a, a tabletop game. Um, and that, that's something that's quite empowering to me, I think. And for for Galahad especially... He's interesting because, he, like I say, he can go down these two different paths and he he's a vengeance paladin. He he does skirt the line. He's, I think f- while I really like the more standard devotion paladin type of thing who has these really strict oaths and he's generally a, the, the basically the Superman of, of paladins, right? And yeah. That, that belief system. I think that is really interesting and you can do a lot with it. I like the vengeance paladin archetype, I think, a little bit more because it allows him to wade round in these more murky gray waters a little more. Mm. And I think that's even more dangerous because it kind of reminds me of Jedi in a way in, in Star Wars, especially like prequels Jedi who are very much the devotion type islands, you know, they don't go anywhere near the dark side, stay away from the dark. Side, don't even look at the dark side mm. or, or you will fall. Things are terrible things will happen. And that kind of becomes their downfall in a way because they're so, uh, sheltered from that that then any slight hint of exposure at all just completely corrupts them it's like uh it's, it's like they've got no uh kind of resistance to it at all they're not built up any immunity to this right we, we're, to be, we're getting
0: back to the disease stuff now
1: are we <laughs> well i just think i think it's an interesting parallel it's like they've not they haven't got Whereas yeah, I think if you're slightly exposed to that, to the grey areas of life, like the vengeance paladin is, they, they have to wade around in those murky waters. They, they even can though, see
0: d- what's what's truly evil and what's... Yeah even, yeah, even
1: though it's a more morally dangerous place to be, and it's very easy to teeter over into doing something abhorrent, they mm. have such a greater understanding of the meaning of sort of life and death and punishment and justice and the whole spectrum as opposed to this very black and white response to things that they are able to see the darkness, you know, toy with it a little bit. Like I say, they have, I think the vengeance paladins have much more capacity for evil Mm. than say the devotion paladins do, but because they have so much capacity for that, that they then have the agency to have much more capacity for good as well Mm. because they're, they're confronted with the decision of being quote unquote good or bad every day and wading around in that, that murky area that because they choose good every day, that makes them almost more morally justified than say a paladin who doesn't make that decision every day because they're so far over to one side. Yeah. I don't know. That's just how I sort of see it in my head or how I'm exploring it at the moment.
0: No, yeah, I I get where you're coming from. And it's, it's interesting because um, I'm sort of walking that line with, quite tightly um i i said Well no, i think you've dipped
1: well no this over is
0: this is the thing so i said to i said to james like look here's here's this character who um and at one point i tra- i had to change his alignment because so i said to him look i've i've been thinking about it i think you know some stuff's happened i don't think i got it right with his alignment i'm going to change it to this and he was like okay fine and um you know i'm the way i see him he's he's so focused on this acquisition of of knowledge, knowledge is power, and he wants to be remembered. He wants to be known as the greatest, but he doesn't really have a purpose. He doesn't have a goal or a mission. Um, you know, if, if in a way you, like
1: he wants to be, you know, he wants to sort of attain the rank of master. You know, like
0: a yeah, kind like, of uh, yeah, like kind like, of
1: like, like a certain. I suppose You, know, you Jedi, could yeah. you
0: could make that that comparison, but like if you look at <laughs> powerful wizards in in D. if you look at people like morden canaan it's like okay he's very powerful he's he's remembered and he has a purpose his whole thing is that he's he's you've got, to, you've got to keep the balance of of the planes and the, the the multiverse and whatever world theory you want to call it so orlo is very much like i want to be remembered like that i want to be known as one of the best one of the greatest but he hasn't got that purpose so he's kind of just going he's just there and he's moving and he he finds whenever he finds a bit of information he's like oh this is interesting i'm gonna i'm gonna look into it regardless of what it is and he doesn't always know what he's looking into so he might find something really really good and be like i'm gonna look into it oh that's nice i'll have that he might find something really really dark and go oh what's this i'm gonna look into it oh oh it's really evil well i'll have it but i won't ever use it because if i have it i'm more powerful because i know it but mm. it's the idea that every time he comes a little bit close with the potential of finding something really really amazingly powerful but it's evil he might just go. Ah, oh, yeah, but it's it's worth it, isn't it? And mm. it's and my whole thing is: Will he? Won't he? Will he? Will he fall, or will he just walk this line the whole way?
1: That's what I think is interesting because, again, going back to what we were saying earlier about having the capacity to do good or bad, these more powerful characters almost become more trustworthy if they are good in a way, because you know they have so much capacity and power to do quote-unquote bad things. Mm. You know, like um if you take someone who is seemingly good, but they have no power, no strength, they're ineffectual in all way, like how do you know that if they did have some grass influence or power that they would be good? Maybe they just come up here that way because – they don't have any opportunity to be bad, really, on a grand scheme, you know, whereas these, like, so that's why I find really powerful wizards very interesting, and I find they generally in this sort of fiction go one or two ways, either well, three ways, really. They've like, become very evil, become a lich, whatever, right? They they sort of, mm-hmm. they lose their humanity and power corrupts them, but I've become really powerful and really good because and those are those are supremely good characters like i would say like Morden kane and people like that even though they they've done dubious things they are ultimately good characters because they have so much power and could affect so much change but they utilize it for the greater good right mm-hmm. and then, and then i find the ones where who go this most go this way is that they just become apathetic right yeah the, all those quarrels of good and bad or whatever they they essentially just lose all semblance of a moral compass or humanity right and then they just they're, they're searching for some sort of higher purpose at that point and then if they do bad things they do good things it's irrelevant to them they don't even see it as that anymore yeah um and you know i i could see all going in that way where he's like well it doesn't really matter anymore i'm just trying to live forever yeah <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: effectively and i think the thing with like and you've got to remember like modern canaan is, is a bit of a dick and like uh, most wizards who who go on that you know i'm doing things for the greater good they end up being arseholes because they they are they're like well you don't understand you don't understand the complexity and the and the mission that i'm on and i'm gonna do this for the great good and oh you know it's the trolley problem do i let four people get hit by the trolley or one person well i'm gonna i'm gonna sacrifice the one person for the greater good even though they're good people they they become quite I think, or the way I see it, quite morally great. I mean, there are a few standouts who are still very good. I mean, there are wizards in, in the lore of D&D that are, you know, at least outwardly very good and, and grateful people and, and people uh, love them and, and appreciate them. And then there are good wizards like Morn and who will play people off on each other to mm-hmm. make sure that, you know, the the good thing happens. But it's like... Is it the good thing? Can we like, you know, one of the whole one of the whole things in the, uh, the term of foes is that is about the blood war and how if one side of the blood war won, then it would completely throw everything off kilter. Uh, but, you know, normal people might say, well, surely it's a good thing for a war between demons and devils to stop because that's chaotic and sometimes it spills over into our world but he would say well no sometimes a city's gonna have to fall to the demons so that they can have enough troops to stop the wave of devils because otherwise mm-hmm. the war's gonna end and it's gonna be complete chaos
1: so yeah and it's it's weird it's like it's and again like a perhaps a devotion paladin would be inhibited from making that type of decision mm. whereas again like a someone who has more leeway to to see the ground a picture can can make those morally gray difficult choices with the long game but then it becomes you know sacrifice a few to save the many when at what point does that teeter into unjustifiable um behavior i think that's pretty interesting and and those characters like you say become interesting as they become more powerful that's why i find high level campaigns quite interesting because player characters have so much power to affect change in the world at that point it's like how are you going to wield it what are you going to do with these sort of immense gifts, right? Like, um, I think Game of Thrones is a pretty good example because you have Jon Snow, he joins the wall. He seems like a seemingly good character. He's got a lot of angst or whatever, but he's got, seems like at his heart, a pretty good guy. But he has no power. So you don't really know for sure mm-hmm. what he will do with it when he gets it. Whereas you say, like, compare Joffrey, right? Who has all the power in the world. And then we can see what he does with that power and it only enhances his negative traits. Whereas then Jon becomes you know spoiler alerts from game of thrones (laughs) uh you know he becomes the commander of the night's watch and then what does he do with that he utilizes it to save lives i mean he gets
0: stabbed a few thousand times
1: yeah yeah you know he gets punished for his good acts but that's what he does and that's what why we connect with him on such a visceral level a level and then whereas you can well daenerys is interesting because she pretty much does mostly good stuff but she um she's a harsh punisher you know with fire and blood and so you always wonder can she teeter or not and then obviously evidently she does teeter over uh, to darkness in the end very abruptly yeah let's let's uh, not let's
0: <laughs> not get into that
1: you know that it wasn't done great but the idea was was sound yeah that, okay you could see the through line because even from day one she's been she's been cold and vicious because of you know the events that have that have shaped and moulded her she's mm. had to adapt to this this really a much harsher environment that John's been in um, and he's not had the, she's not had the perhaps as sound mentorship that he's had and guidance um, by good people she's just been in really tough situation after tough situation and so that then makes her well it just makes her more susceptible to that darkness I suppose that's what makes her interesting I find it interesting about like Xanathar as well who's come up a lot in our game yeah obviously is this uh maniacal uh, beholder but beholders are interesting in that you know they see all other forms of life form as lesser than they are yeah sort of if they Subhuman in a way, obviously they're not human, subbeholder, right? Yeah, they're and just they're, so, they're all they're
0: all lesser to to some extent.
1: Yeah, and it's an interesting philosophical point because then it's like, okay, so he vaporises people all the time and he's very evil, does all these, these dastardly acts. But is he evil if he can't even comprehend that these other people are people and have thoughts and feelings and emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Is is the I don't know the the crocodile evil for eating the antelope, right? I mean, the e- well, you know, I, I would say no. It's he uh, it doesn't even comprehend that that antelope might feel anything or whatever. It's just thinking about his next meal, Xanathar's just thinking about well it's difficult to even say because that's why i find aberration so interesting because they're just unknown yeah evils, right you just you don't even you don't even know they can't they don't even see people as people this is what makes like cthulhu and star and all that stuff we spoke about before sort of this occult stuff really scary because they have no concept of good or bad which is even more like i would rather have an evil i know than someone mm-hmm. who knows no evil at all it just it no, yeah, that's horrifying
0: uh, i get where you're coming from i think the difference with with beholders though is that like i mean the thing with beholders is that they they are more than just um like like an unexplained creature they have they have these almost human traits them all or you know humans are not really the right word for it because there are other races in D. but you kind of understand where we're coming from when we when we say that um beholders have some form of deity whether it's actually a deity or not is kind of questionable um but they have this this creature this this ultimate beholder that they they see above all as as the one true god of them god would not be the right word for them they are not they're aberrations they don't believe in the same way as as we would and each beholder and this is why i find them so interesting each beholder thinks that they are the perfect clone, the perfect copy, the exact image of that true perfectionist icon. Um, So when they see another Beholder, who inevitably looks different to them, it's like, well, (laughs) you are not the true image of our one great creature, and therefore you are lesser than I because I am the great image. So then they see everything else in the same way. So it's less of like oh you are not as worthy as well i mean it is you're not as worthy but it's less like oh you're lesser than me because i don't like you they they literally believe that everything else isn't the the depiction of perfection and and because that's so ingrained into them it's almost like well can you blame them and maybe for that maybe not maybe if that's something they they cannot help then sure this is weird that we're trying to defend a beholder's ways (laughs) but but whatever but when you look at what the sanath has done which um isn't unheard of beholders do tend to take other beings and use them because yeah you might not be you know you're not as perfect or as right as me. You are a lesser being, but you're still useful but to me. But you've got
1: thumbs, and yeah. I need people with thumbs to yeah. carry things. My
0: my teleportation ray eye is unfortunately needing a contact lens, so you're going to have to do stuff for me. Um, but the, the stuff he has done is kind of like i mean he runs a basically a terrorist group in a way and he just causes chaos and you know he just kills people because he wants to because it's fun he runs a gladiatorial ring because it brings him joy to watch people fight to the death like that stuff
1: yeah okay maybe we can't forgive him for that no something i think is perhaps yeah as you're saying he is a a bit bit different yeah he's a bit different because he obviously beholders have a lot of intelligence like other creatures and so they have the capacity to understand consciousness i suppose like the alligator this is where sort of the alligator analogy falls apart because yeah. they they understand the consciousness of other people and the pain of other people but yet they sort of inflict this this horrid pain and suffering anyway um i mean they're kind of basically just nazis in a way right if they're they're seeking this sort of perfected form right mm-hmm. and then anything that is not this perfected form is not worth keeping around um sounds very Nazi-ish to me
0: yeah <laughs> but, i mean literally the word in the monster manual if uh, like one of the subheadings for them is like xenophobic something i can't remember how they describe them but they are literally xenophobes yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, no, so that's interesting. I mean, it's—I uh, mean, did it throw you off guard when my character decided his life goal was to to kill Xanathar? Is that? Um, no, is I
0: that... kind of—I kind of thought you you would want to get to the head of the uh, the Xanathar's Guild. Killing the Xanathar is is a big thing, and it's—I've seen a lot of comments. This about is what I'm asking:
1: it. is is his stat is his stat blocked out? um
0: yeah. he is not started out separately he so he is it tells you to use a beholder stat block and then it gives you a list of changes to make um mm, because he yeah. has some differences and and being who he is he has access to to items and things as
1: well so um, does, does that make him does that make i presume that makes him tougher than a standard
0: uh, beholder. uh yes also the fact that he would be in his lair um makes him tougher as well um there are, I mean, yeah, it's hard to say because really his, it doesn't give you a, like a CR for him as well. I mean, you've got, you've no got to remember how we're going to
1: do this. I, don't, I, have no, I have no idea how it's actually going to be pulled off because honestly, oh a, no. a, a straight fight's not going to work.
0: No, I have no idea either. It will be interesting to see what you do. But you've got to remember as well that um, Dragon Heist is a, a one to five adventure and it actually says in there, you know, your players aren't meant to fight these villains. And I always knew that going in at level five, that was going to be potentially achievable at some point and an option um and i'm fine with that um i mean if yeah,
1: players read that and you're like not meant to doesn't mean we can't yeah. A chance. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
0: but like he um what i need to work out the stuff that will be fun for me is like what happens if the head of this criminal organization goes away and like there's a reason that um you know the, the Open Lord and the Black Staff haven't fronted an assault to the Xanafa Guild because even though he is this evil th- corporation, you know, that's doing bad things and there is a gang war going on, he also does offer something to the city because he, he kind of regulates and controls the criminal population. So it's like, well, that's, that's helpful to us. The rest of the stuff, not so much. So what happens if that figure, that figurehead goes away? Because... Yeah. The, the whole Xanathar Guild is like, I'll stab you in the back to get to the top. But it's like, what do you do once you're at the top? Because you're never going well, to get like, it's like, above
1: the like Xanathar. It's like 1980s Yakuza and Japanese police where they don't mm. really chase them down. As yeah. long as they're just killing each other. You know, when people start dropping in the streets or step in, but until, as long as they're killing each other behind closed doors...
0: Yeah, well, that's, don't really care. that's why there's now a problem that there's all this gang war on the streets. But the other thing as well is, like, the Xanathar like xanathar is a title um it's not a name and there have been many xanathars they have all been beholders because of the way beholders kind of recreate and populate and i'm not going to go into it it's complicated but what would be interesting is and and if what i think carrie's plan is to is to become the xanathar effectively is if
1: well he's thinking about it but i don't think he's as bold to say that he's um
0: qualified for that job just mm, yet
1: yeah fair um, but potentially
0: but what would be interesting in that scenario is even if it wasn't Carrie, if someone took over that position the whole a lot of the fear that comes from the xanafer is that certain people know what he is most people don't but you know certain people do and that kind of that mystery and that fear from other people and it's usually bigger mob bosses it's kind of like you know if you're the if you were the big boss of the mob and then all of the other bosses were scared of you everyone else wouldn't touch you because their bosses are scared of their boss <clears throat> but the, the the fear comes from the fact that people know he's a beholder so what happens if that goes away does the person who steps in s- pretend to be a beholder and just never gets seen and keeps that charade going or do they you know try and uh, reform the 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 guild quote-unquote it, it well, will be uh, it'll be very interesting to find out
1: well carrie's plan was and originally just join the uh, the zanathus guild they had some information that he wanted anyway obviously he wanted to find the vibe he was interested in that and just he was just interested in having access mm. you know to the power and the fact that he knew that not many people see the zanathar or know who he at that point he thought he was just a man mm. um he just wanted to see him, just to literally, just to say he'd done it right, and and had that access. But the more he got involved, and the more morally grey things progressed, I think. And he again, he's uh, having a, a bit of a crisis of faith. He's he's kind of religious, but not really, yeah. I suppose, um, lo- loosely, uh, and perhaps that's growing a little bit within him at the moment. And um, I, I really think like I his, see Cowrie as... Um, i like his, his priestly character as well i think he has a large impact on his
0: the guy in his backstory yeah yeah i i see i see Cowrie as more spiritual than religious at the moment um mm. you know he's got kind of these he he feel he, i kind of get the feeling that there he thinks there's you know there is a greater plan and there is a flow to it all but he doesn't believe in the the greater higher being that that controls everything um which would be interesting to see if, if he ever went that way. I don't know. It'd yeah, be fun to see. I think.
1: Well, I, I like to tie in the fact that even though he's uh, this kind of city boy, and um, he he has this love hate relationship with society and government. He loves to be in this urban environment, but he also mm-hmm. hates the uh, the kind of civility of it all. Yeah. But on top of that, he is a wood health, and he's just he is naturally. He's come from a rural area, and he is naturally this more naturalistic, like, like you say, spiritual guy, right? And he ha- he's he been brought up with these beliefs and uh, he-, he takes heed because even though he doesn't like his dad very much and he doesn't respect him very much, he does respect the fact that his dad is a wood elf who's like hundreds of years old and probably does know a thing or two, right? Mm. And when he teaches him about their culture and their ancestry and things like that, he does take heed to that. Um, that's why he was quite adamant about not disturbing that um, Elven grave. Yeah, um, because it there is some stuff that he holds value to. Not a lot, but some stuff. And when it came to meeting Abraham, this this priest, I think he he he, he listens to Abraham less because he's a godly man and a priest, but just because he knows he's a good man. Mm. And so he he knows he's a good barometer for. Um, for for morals and for guidance, right? And I think that and Abraham knows that that Carries is not necessarily a necessarily godly man, so he doesn't preach to him. I think he he tactfully preaches to him without, him yeah. really knowing.
0: Well, right? Abraham is a uh, a follower of Gond, who is all about invention and creation. So he's got all of these like fun little knickknacks and creations and things that he's made, and I th- and I like that. I picked that for him because Carries is quite. Um, Hands on. He's quite a bit of a tinkerer mm-hmm. himself. He makes all these little things, and I like to think that that exposure has brought that out in him. And that's that's the way that Abraham sort of delivers his his religion onto Cowrie. It's like, yeah, you know, create things and present them to the world, and you're you're making it a brighter pace and a better place. Yeah. But I, then, but like then Cowrie the... makes things that shoot glass into people's <laughs> eyes. So,
1: well, he yeah, you got he you got part of the message. I just like him because. And again, like that priestly character, he's not infallible. Um, you know, he likes he likes a drink every now and then. oh, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Gets a bit leery. A drink under the table, so, uh, mate. So he's a uh, he. He comes. I think what's nice is Carrie sees a lot of these priestly figures and stuff as high and mighty, but Abram comes down to his level. Mm. You know, and they they talk as uh, as equals, which I think is uh, pretty good for him.
0: Just um, um, going back to the Xanapher really quickly as well. I realised yesterday when we were going through it all that um you know there is there is no way that i cannot let killing the xanathar and becoming the head of the xanathar's guild be unattainable because i play in a game where my character has become a duke of boulder's so i'd be a bit of a hypocrite if i made that inaccessible so i'll tell you now it is possible um i'm just, just thinking about it's how gonna, gonna be bloody it. difficult mate i mean it, well, it, it is almost a suicide mission
1: well i'm just thinking because well, Carrie, up until like twenty minutes before the session ended or whatever, was like, "Oh, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go up to the man and I'm gonna slit his throat." And uh, <laughs> <is that? laughs> he so, like, doesn't really know where the throat is uh, on a uh, beholders. Point. Don't have a throat. Okay. <laughs> um. So he's got, but we got, we got a team. We're researching them. We got, uh, figure it out. Maybe he'll enlist the help of like Dragon or something. Uh. I mean he's got a bit of an acute fear of dragons.
0: How are you gonna get a dragon into a city that is warded from dragons?
1: Well we would have to turn that ward off, won't we? Oh. You know, we know the Black star we're good friends with the Black Star. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't work that way, but okay. I'm sure she can she can figure it out.
0: Um We should ask her about that. That'd be interesting. It'd be fun.
1: Well, there's that um the only other plan, obviously Carrie player notice is like we we get him to dream up we're getting so paranoid he dreams up another beholder and fight each other mm-hmm. to like the, and then when that one of them kills the other hopefully they'll be so near death anyway we can just go in for the killing blow that's gonna um, be so
0: hard to orchestrate
1: i know yeah <laughs> what's know. fun
0: as well is in in the water deep book you've got um it's in the in the xanathar section it says like uh, you know players probably won't be able to kill him because, you know, max level is five, but here's some ways they could disrupt his guild or here's how they could really upset him. So there's like some fun, interesting things that you could do. You've got to find out what, what they are, but... There, there well, is the, thing is,
1: the thing is, obviously, we've not necessarily really met the main villain of this campaign or main villains as such. Uh, um, well, But like, we've not really interacted with them on a... Not on a one-to-one level no well actually well after the last session maybe a little bit but i don't i don't see i don't even really know who the main villains are that's the thing that's the beauty of it and so it's such a heavily modified adventure that i don't you know it's hard to to gauge what's going on but (laughs) i think we have to maybe enlist the help of some of them to get it done i'm Mm. not i'm I'm not really sure that could Um, be
0: that could be very interesting
1: could I blind the, the beholder with the old glass blaster, just the pulverised glass in the eyes? Uh,
0: Presumably. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he has ten of them, so... I
1: mean, yeah, it'd be tricky to blind him, to be fair. Uh, yeah, I
0: mean, you could take out maybe one of his eyes. That would be a
1: lot of eyes to, to blind. It's him, a lot actually. of pulverised glass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting. Uh, the, the party weren't on board.
0: no. <laughs> they really weren't and um there was a moment where we we had this basically had an intervention for you and um there was a lot of arguing and we had a break afterwards and we came back and one of them one of the players i think phoebe she went i i need to say sorry because i feel like we've had an argument and i was like do you know what maybe maybe this is why we all get on as friends because we just vent our problems with each other through our characters <laughs>
1: i don't, i just i just told him to shut up and be quiet and i'm <laughs> like you did yeah yeah i did think that. was <laughs> like oh, down, oh dear
0: <laughs> this is the thing i like I, I always hear people say and i always used to hear it before we played was like oh you know i don't know what my character's gonna do i'm like how do you not know what your character's gonna do you're playing them but I, sometimes i really don't know what they're gonna do yeah
1: we well, just get into it and i, th- I think everyone's very Everyone's kind of very method, aren't they? As soon as we start no. playing, no one really breaks character very much other than for the odd joke. So it's like we the are The odd joke and the are odd in rule
0: clarification.
1: Yeah, we're just in it at that point. So, um, yeah, for like seven very, hours. <laughs> we get really, really invested. And everyone's got such great characterisation that it's so easy to just slip into that role again. You don't feel silly in any way. And ev- yeah. you know, everyone does... Um, what's that, I everyone? Mean, basically only me well two of us do silly voices as well so that's kind of fun
0: yeah Yeah. and i i I, I, I do voices all the time because i'm bloody everybody aren't i so yeah yeah no
1: it's um i I don't know how we got here ben but it's been an interesting talk
0: it's been it's no it's been quite fun i like i do like these and we do get messages saying that that people enjoy listening to us talk about this stuff because it's it's just you know an unscripted chat and there is there i think there are tidbits of like, interesting things that you can take away from it. So, eh, I don't know. It's been it's been a fun hour, though.
1: Yeah, and no, I'd be interested I mean, because, obviously, we get a lot of people writing. I'd be interested to see if anyone who is uh, sort of very religious in their IRL actual life, if, that, if they integrate that at all into their games or they don't and it's more just a kind of form of escapism from their real life or... I'd be interested to see how, from the perspective of someone who who is religious what are if our chat resonates with them at all if they're horribly offended by it you know i'd just be interested to see what oh god i hope not well then <laughs> you can't please everyone can you? <laughs> i
0: never want to offend anyone though <laughs> it's just only a fun game it's a fun hobby after all <laughs> yeah you
1: offend me every day
0: oh okay well all right fine wonderful um do you know what we should uh what's it what's fun what's interesting um is that with this shared world universe, with James and I both running games in the same universe, is that we've got an opportunity now where some of the, the players are going to go away as some of their characters and some new characters to go on a like a separate little adventure. It's like a little break, and then they're going to come back and we're going to swap DMs for a little bit. Um, but it's the same universe, same world, same characters. So it would be interesting after we've done that and we've come back to Waterdeep um, and we've seen some of those more connected swaps happen in in game because they've been happening all the time and they've, we've mentioned little bits where you you know where you said like oh i don't know you know suddenly james starts talking and i don't know what's going on um mm-hmm. but it, there'll be a lot more of that in the next couple of sessions so it'll be interesting to get james on after that's happened and have a sort of conversation as as the two dms and a player and see what people think about running a shared universe you know with different dms would be like because yeah, i've i've a, really enjoyed ton, it do i um, what's your opinion
1: I like it. I mean, like I so I've not experienced it much because the campaigns that I've been in with HDM have been, you know, relatively separate. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but the little moments of crossover have been fun. I think if we go on this little Baldur's Gate adventure, I will probably not benefit from it as much as say you will because you're in both campaigns yeah and obviously i know james has picked boulders gate because he's obviously fleshed out that whole yeah area very yeah. well he's so got he stuff he hasn't
0: it. used there yeah
1: uh, so you'll, you'll probably be going oh whoa oh that. and i be like what
0: yeah so, it's like no
1: context. <laughs> um
0: wesley he's another player he plays in the boulders gate game and he is in um avernus with my character and when they left Bouldersgate, the election was happening, and he, you know, he put his, my, my guy had put his name in and he'd, he'd done a lot of work to ensure he had a lot of backing, but then he went down into avernus and doesn't know the result. So when Orlo found out, he literally, James told me through an NPC saying, give so the quest is that Orlo's got to go to Bouldersgate and investigate one of the dukes who has been missing, but is still giving orders. And the NPC literally said, so in Bouldersgate, there's four dukes, one of them is holding down the fort two of them are in hell and the other one is uh missing and i was like wait hang on how many of them are in hell so when orlo got to basically explain why he was leaving and he said that to the group wesley gave me this look like sorry what <laughs> and i was like yeah because <laughs> wesley's character in in skate hates mine <laughs> so <laughs> typical um so that's it's a lot of fun it is a lot of fun
1: there you go just make your player characters politicians what can go wrong
0: yeah yeah um i mean (laughs) art imitates life so uh who knows um but yeah we'll 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 get him on and we'll have a good chat because i did say to him a long time ago it it might be something we want to talk about and he was all he was all up for it so
1: cool well this has been a good one
0: it has been a good one and you said it wasn't going to be a good one at the start
1: Wow, they're always good ones, Ben. Yeah. But I like to set the expectations low so we can then raise them yeah. throughout the show. Yeah, All
0: I right. always say if you go in with no expectations, you come out thoroughly pleased. So. Um, well, look, uh, you can get in touch with us uh, at We Speak Common on Twitter. You can email us, WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com. Our website is WeSpeakCommon.com. And uh, if you see us on Reddit, it's usually me. Also, fun thing, Joe, um, mm. because this episode... Uh, is out if you're listening to it on the thursday uh that it release on thursday the 28th which means in one two three in three days time we'll have a uh, pretty big announcement happening on our twitter oh yeah
1: interesting
0: so if you aren't following us um get over there to be the first to know and we will then do a re-announcement in next week's episode i suppose
1: yeah just and if you're you know you're wondering what it may be might be to uh, look back at you know stuff we've done in the past mm. it might be a bit of a uh a giveaway as to what we're doing going forward <laughs> too much too much no,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no i think that's i think that slightly undersells it but okay <laughs> <laughs> anyway we'll, um, we'll see you next week if we don't see you on Twitter have uh, a great rest of your day whatever you're doing I don't know
1: Bye.
0: see you later thanks for listening today if you like the podcast do us a favour leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends you can get in touch with us on Twitter at we Speak Common or through the email WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license CC by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive.